and good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending upon where you are on this spinning globe we call the Earth. And you're probably wondering why you're not hearing Richard's voice tonight. Richard uh, fell ill this afternoon. He's not feeling well. And, you know, there's nothing that could keep him away from doing this show. So, you know, he's he's got to be hurting if he had to cancel. I mean, I could tell he was kind of heartbroken as he's been looking forward to this weekend. And uh, he's very excited. And he's probably been overdoing it. So uh, I'm filling in. My name is Jonathan Womack. I'll be your host tonight. And we have a wonderful lineup of guests who are going to share some outstanding, excellent information for us all. And we don't have the web page up for tonight, unfortunately. So we're going to be winging it. <laughs> but we will get through this, and it's going to be a great show. And uh, thank you all for being here. We have with us tonight Rick Levine. He's an ex uh, astrologer extraordinaire. He's been on the show a number of times before. Very knowledgeable and entertaining. We have Georgia Lambert, who is a show regular. And of course, Georgia is a wonderful teacher of all things esoteric. She has a unique perspective on the world and things that are going around on around us. And uh, we also have David Sarita with us. David has been part of uh, the last month of shows and our efforts to contact Umuam. He's a numerologist and filmmaker and has uh, many credentials. And we also have Michael Lee Hill, who has been on the show. And uh, Michael is a contactee and has developed these... Um, crystals that channel energy and refine water and other magical things and let's see who am i for is that everybody did i forget anyone i think that's everybody oh robert morningstar will be joining us the third hour so welcome everyone uh thank you for being here tonight and we're going to kick off with uh, Rick and Georgia. Rick, Richard wanted to talk about this formation in the sky. It's, it's a square, so there's this planetary alignment taking place. And he figured you and Georgia were the best people to explain why this is important. So, Okay, Georgia, away? let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're up, sweetie. <laughs> Uh, you know, starting here with basics, it's uh, uh, for those people who don't know about real astrology, what we look at is repeating patterns of the planets and how they make patterns not only to fixed objects in the sky we call stars, um, but to each other. And for example, we look at the new moon, full moon cycle, and once every month, the moon catches up to the sun. And um, and that's and, and a month is basically one lunar or moon cycle, roughly. You can do the same thing with any pair of planets. And just like the moon's um, uh, cycle to the sun, the moon going around the Earth, the moon catches up to the sun. And if it does that once every 28, 29 days, 
than a half of a cycle from a new moon to a full moon. Um, the ancients called a fortnight, which we moderners don't use that much or hardly at all. But that was once as important a measurement as a day, a week or a month. A fortnight was two weeks, half of a lunar cycle and half of a fortnight is a week. And so we all use these as terms of measurement. And my point here is that we take the sun cycle, the moon cycle to the sun, and we divide it in half. And in astrology, that's an opposition, like a full moon. And then we divide it in half again. And that's when two planets form a 90 degree angle, one to the other. And that, um, as, as you said, was a square. Now, every pair of planets has this cycle between them. Um, the, uh, the further out we go, the slower the cycles, the longer term the cycles, the longer the time between these um, cycles. For example, if we were to take Neptune and Pluto, they only catch up to one another once every 400 years. Mm. But we have been experiencing um, this year, and actually for the last few years, a, um, how do I say this, an intersection of a handful of very rare rhythms that make it even more rare. Um, on January 12th, Saturn caught up to Pluto, as it does three times a century, um, and it's always an important marker. Um, that marker on its um, lineup and its opposition, the halfway through the cycle, mark off within a few weeks, things like um, uh, like Martin Luther um, writing his theses and kicking off the Protestant Reformation um, to the height of the bubonic plague, to the World Trade Tower uh, bombings, to the beginning of World War One. I. Uh, I mean, the list is on and on and on and on. And that happened in early January of 2020, which um, within a uh, within a day, you know, of the announcement of the uh, Wuhan. Uh, the morphology or the genome of the Wuhan virus and the first mortality. Um, and so we're coming on the heels of this 2020 cycle and into 2021, Saturn basically made a 90 degree angle with Uranus. It takes Saturn um, roughly 30 years, 29 and a half years to go around the sun once. And it takes Uranus about 84 years to go around the sun once. So it basically takes Saturn 30 years to go around once and then about another half to catch back up to Uranus, which has moved down the road a bit. So it turns out that Saturn lines up with Uranus like a new moon lining up with the sun once every 45 years. Saturn lined up with Uranus back in, in, in 1852 and then in, we think, 1897, and then it was 1942, and then 1988, and 2021. Now, what do you think uh, so is 40... happening, Rick, when, when this takes place? Yes. How do you think it affects mankind? And... Well, that's 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 where we're going, and I just wanted to, people to understand that this is a real and natural rhythm. Now, how it affects mankind is is this. In astrology, every planet carries its own symbolism, its own archetypal, uh, archetypal um, reference, if you will. Saturn is authority. Saturn represents structure. Saturn represents stability. Saturn represents karma. It's if you do the hard work, you get positive results. Saturn represents conserving energy and making things last 
crystallization. The ancients believed that when things came into this world, that they had to come through the gate of Saturn first to take physical form. That Lucifer became a fallen angel as it fell through the gates, as he fell through the gates of Saturn. And in fact, there is a similarity of etymology etymology between Saturn and Satan. Well, that's now, funny. Uranus, Uranus Can I was throw in something here, Rick. Yeah, go ahead. The rumor is that there is a small black hole near Saturn, and I thought it was interesting when I was watching the the film Man of Steel. Uh, Krypton blows up, and Superman's ship heads for our solar system, <laughs> and it arrives through the black hole near Saturn. And I just find that interesting. And you know, it has the rings, of course; those are key in in some fashion, and all the moons orbiting Saturn, that's all part of the mechanics, right? Well, um, yeah, I can't comment on the black hole. I certainly can comment on the idea that every single atom is a miniature black hole at the center. Uh, the works of Nassim Haramein, uh, you know, and other, you know, well, and even Richard's work in hyperdimensional physics. The the idea of there just being one black hole from which everything comes is or which everything goes into is is a bit archaic. Regardless, in the late 1700s, Uranus was discovered, and and the discovery of Uranus was a shock. Why? Because for thousands of years, Saturn was the slowest thing observable in the sky. Nothing moved slower than Saturn until you went out to the fixed stars. They didn't appear to move at all. And so when Uranus was discovered um, in the late 18th century, um, it was a real shock because overnight our real estate tripled. Um, Saturn being a roughly 30-year cycle, Uranus being nearly 90 years, actually 84 years. Um, and Uranus represents everything that's Promethean. What do I mean by that? Prometheus, as you probably know, stole fire from the gods and gave it to mankind. It's kind of about innovation and invention. Um, Uranus is the planet of rebellion. It, it, it has to do with um, breaking free of Saturn's boundaries. Saturn is the limit. Saturn is the, you know, is the um, is, is the outward circumference. And Uranus basically says, boom, you're gone. Um, you know, it, it's like uh, instantaneously um, breaking down a wall, um, almost like lightning striking. You have opposites, uh, positive and negative charge in, a, in the atmosphere. And when lightning strikes for a moment, that charge is obliterated. And so you have what we've been experiencing this year, 2021. And because of the retrograde motion, that's the apparent motion of the planets. Um, it looks like from Earth's point of view that Saturn is 90 degrees to Uranus three times. The first time was in mid-February, actually February 17th. The second time um, that um, that they were exactly 90 degrees to one another was June 14th. And the third and final time um, was on Christmas Eve, um, depending upon where you were on the planet. Um, on the West Coast, it was 11, the exact moment was 11:16 on December 23rd, but that means if you were anywhere else in the United States, Mountain Time to Eastern Time, that occurred early in the morning on the 24th. Regardless, that's the third and final time that this aspect was exact. Although I should say before going on that in 2022, 
They get very close to be, being inexact again, but they're not quite exact. But we're not going to get done with these issues. Your question was, how does this affect us? Saturn, the planet of stability, is at odds with Uranus, the planet of innovation. Saturn, the planet of old, is conflicting with Uranus, the planet of new. Saturn, the planet of conservative political conservative, is square or 90 degrees duking it out with the progressives. Saturn, the planet of, um, of wanting to go back to the way things were for stability, is square to Uranus, the future innovation and technology. Uranus is the planet of technology. So this is really what we've been seeing playing out on the Earth plane through 2021 as part of an even much larger scenario that I don't have time to go into now. But it's that that culminated in its exactness on Christmas Eve, which is why we're talking about it now. And I would suggest that amongst other things on uh, some of the issues at hand with the Saturn squaring Uranus um, is the um, uh, COVID and, and the pandemic and whatever the information is that may be suppressed around that. We're not going into that rabbit hole right now. Um, but that's one of the issues around the Saturn square Uranus, the power structure, the authority, the, um, you know, the government institutions at odds with Uranus, those people who are saying no, or the, you know, whether they're innovative or, or crazy. I mean, it's, you know, I'm not making judgment here. Um, the fact is that that's one of the issues. Another issue is certainly the whole political thing in the United States, but you can also look at disclosure as Saturn, the structure that wants to keep things the way they were, keep things you know, silent, um, and Uranus, the we need to bust this through and bring it out into the open. And I think that that's part of why we're talking about this here and tonight. Mm, very interesting. Now, what do you think about that, Georgia? Um, a couple of different things. First of all, uh, let me add to uh, Rick's uh, definition of a fortnight. Um, way back in the 60s, there was a book written by Tom Graves called Needles of Stone, and he did some really interesting experiments um, cataloging the movement of energy uh, from the atmosphere down the standing stones into the earth, and then from the earth upward through the standing stone back into the atmosphere. Each was a, a, a two-week period. So a fortnight also describes the breath of the earth, the in-breath and the out-breath. This is also mirrored in the human body. Our cerebrospinal fluid is manufactured in two spaces on either hemisphere called ventricles. The cerebrospinal fluid is manufactured there. It moves to the center of the head in the third ventricle, down to the fourth ventricle at the base of the skull, down the spinal column, uh, the spinal cord, bathing the spinal cord, and its movement back up to be reabsorbed into the brain takes 28 days. Mm -hmm. So the human body is in tune with the breath of the earth, which can be divided into fortnights. Yeah, I mean, thank you for that, Georgia. And in fact, um, that work and that idea of atmospheric changes based upon 
um, two planets aligning, in this case, the sun and the moon, and then those two planets being opposite one another, in this case, the full moon, the sun and the moon, that thing that we call a fortnight, which measures that between perhaps the two strongest things in the sky from Earth's point of view, the sun and the moon, that those same um, the, 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 those same um, points in other planetary cycles were shown to have effect on crystal structures by a, um, a, a chemist, um, a pharmacist, actually, a chemist in, in Europe, a pharmacist in the early 20th century who was a student of Rudolf Steiner's. Um, her name was Lily Kalisko. And, um, and she showed how different metal salts based upon the salts of the different associated with the planets could not find crystalline structure um, when two planets were aligned, one of them being the planet having to do with that metal. For example, Venus is associated with copper. And so when, when Venus aligns with, um, when the moon aligns with Venus once a month for a few hours, you can't get copper sulfate to crystallize and so on. But it's the same thing that you're talking about that occurring in a natural form in, um, I love the title of that book, Needles of Stone. So it, it just really catches what, you know, what these standing stones actually are. And, and to add to what you were just saying, uh, of course, going back to the Middle Ages, we see uh, numerous tomes written about certain phases of the moon or planets when certain medicinal plants were harvested and, and processed. Uh, and, and also talking about the metals, uh, in the East, we know that the energy centers of the body or chakras are shown as lotus blossoms or fiery wheels. In the West, they're shown as mythological animals or metals or planets. And so a lot of the medieval texts, particularly Rosicrucian and alchemical texts, um, have double meanings when they're talking about certain metals in alignment with certain planetary uh, activity. Yeah, the whole thing between metals and planets is fascinating. There's a book by a friend of mine, uh, Nick, uh, um, uh, actually, um, um, uh, Nick, um, uh, no, I said he's a friend of mine. That means, of course, I forgot his last name for a second. <laughs> It'll come back to me. Um, I can see him. He stayed at my home. Okay, so anyhow, the the book is called um, the Met um, Metals and the Planets, and it was printed originally by Borderline Press, Tom Brown, um, back in the geez, I don't know, maybe in the eighties, um, late eighties or early nineties. Um, and it is a deep dive into this association of the metals and the planets. The ancients knew about it. The ancients knew, you know, that gold was the sun on Earth, silver, the moon, mercury, mercury, copper, Venus, iron, Mars, um, uh, tin, Jupiter and lead, Saturn. Um, and all of that's true. But that all gets away from really what we're here to talk about. And that is that right now, tonight, yesterday, this week, last week, we have Saturn squaring Uranus, and we are at one of those bending points where throughout this whole year we've been doing this battle or we've been observing it or participating in it um, of the old versus the new of the status quo Saturn versus the innovation of what will be. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as we, you know, kind of move into 2022 and 2023. 
Well, it makes me wonder, Rick, if if the hard planets, the rock planets, are being affected and metals are affected. I wonder if these alignments have any effect on the gas planets. Well, I think I think everything Esoterically, affects. it would be yes. Yeah, Definitely. I think everything affects everything. But my, but my, and, and of course, Saturn and Jupiter are both gas planets. But my, my feeling is that the, the size, the magnitude, the, the power, if you will, of Jupiter and Saturn would be that those gas planets have more of an effect on us than the other um, solid planets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, Michael, what do you think of this? Do you have, uh, is there anything you want to add? Uh, no. <laughs> um, you I, uh, think it's affecting your um, what do you call your devices, your your magical crystals? There, what's the I, proper I name? I call them Anunnaki energy discs. Um, Richard has begun calling them hyperdimensional magical discs. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I talked to Richard about this. I'm really like, I feel like the Forrest Gump of all this. I'm like this rock and roll guitar player. That all of a sudden, there was just had some crazy stuff thrown in my lap. And I'm learning um, about astrology and everything else. And I feel like I'm a, a child in the classroom. And I wouldn't dare give you an opinion because uh, it would be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, I could I could throw something in here. Um Obviously, Richard talks about wheels within wheels within wheels, and of course, cycles within cycles within cycles. The metaphysical models definitely states that we are at a, at a time, obviously the change of an age, uh, where we're facing exactly what Rick is talking about, this, this impulse to stay where we are versus the impulse for the expansion of consciousness. Yeah. And that um, there's there's a line, I, I always quote it from an old Broadway play called Man of La Mancha, where the sidekick uh, says, it doesn't matter whether the rock hits the pitcher or the pitcher hits the rock, it's going to go bad for the pitcher. So <laughs> it's sort of like, you know, despite the resistance, the baby is going to be born, whether the mother's in a field or well cared for. It's just how uncomfortable we're going to make this transition for ourselves. But transition, we will. Well, I'll tell you, when I met the Anunnaki, which was in the flesh, it was, the first time was two, 2008. And that, be, that started because I was featured on the History Channel, and they were showing my UFO footage. But I ended up being flown to Boston to have my blood work done by a Harvard professor. His name was David Sistrom. And this was for the UFO Hunters History Channel show. And it was revealed I didn't, I don't have normal human blood. I know that was just about as weird to anyone else as it was to me. But uh, the point with, of this is right after that, I was met by the Anunnaki in the flesh. And they said, we were once known as the Anunnaki in your past, and they told me you were once known as the water bearer in your past. And um, that made no sense to me whatsoever, but now I can show them the NASA results of technology that revitalizes and resurrects dead water. You know, I can look someone in the eye and go, you know what, I am the water bearer. Um, 
But the point is that when I met them, they said that their whole way of relating to mankind and their own succession of kingship was related uh, to the entry of the age of Aquarius. You know, this change of what you're talking about, this change from the old to the new. And um, it's actually to the the meaning of the morning star, which is very important to the Mayan culture. They called it the Lamat. And um, then it went into the Native American First Nations. It was known as the Morning Star, which is like the compass four-pointed star. But uh, the deal is everyone thought the Mayan calendar ended in 2012, and it's not because the whole way of Anunnaki keeping time is 432-based. Um, there's 43,200 seconds and 12 hours. It's all 432. And... Um, so I'm watching 2012. I'm like, wait a minute, that resolves to a five. It can't be the end of their calendar. And um, sure enough, they put a crop circle that was a seven-pointed star with 14 Batuns. And those, each Batun is 144,000 days. It's a long count in the Mayan calendar. So it's pretty easy math. You just do 14 times 144,000. You could get two zero one six zero 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 the ending of the age of pisces and into the age of aquarius was 2016 december 21st and shockingly richard hoagland was like oh yeah i've been telling people it's four years off and i mm. said well you are absolutely right <clears throat> but uh man here's the deal is i've learned from the anunnaki themselves exactly what happened and they this experiment to accelerate human conscious evolution by making us experience our own mental energy in an accelerated fashion, unbiasedly, you know, and uh, it all pertains to what we're talking about because uh, when I met the Anunnaki, they said the minute, the very second we entered the age of Aquarius, this experiment to accelerate human conscious evolution by making us experience our own mental energy in a reflected uh, amplified way would be over. We would either have transmuted our shadow, and because um, that's really what they're trying to do, is make us evolve as quickly as possible. But this is a lot to get into, so sometimes I just sit here and. Well, one thing I thought about your crystal is that um, these alignments are probably affecting more than crystals and metals. They're probably affecting the Earth's aura, the Schumann resonance. They're probably affecting the oceans. And can you imagine what would happen if we made a huge, one of your crystals made it really big and put it on the ocean floor? <laughs> yeah, you know what's crazy though? Elon Musk is taking my image and encasing it in crystal and taking it to the moon in humanity's uh, hall of fame. And uh, you know, look what NASA just proved that when that cymatic image is encased in crystal, it's not passive, it's active. And uh, I find it very fascinating how it all lined up for Elon Musk to be taking it there. And um, and there is water know. on the moon. And it's broadcasting. You know, you can have a waveguide that amplifies that signal. And, uh, and it's going to be there for the next 10 billion years, raining down that 432 frequency, which is very fascinating to find out a mua mua, you know, if we're taking this, that we're getting communication. Uh, David Sarita can tell you it's coming in at uh, four, uh, 432 and 144. And it's interesting if your A is tuned properly to 432, one of the D octaves is 144. So they're very related. Mm. 
Yeah, I'd like to hear from David, too. We only have a couple of minutes coming up to the break. David, do you want to preface anything as we go to the break? Well, first I want to say in the book of Isaiah 14, 12, there's a really clear description of Lucifer falling from the bright and morning star to earth, and that would be Venus. So it, it also, Jesus refers to himself as the bright and morning star in Revelation in actually several places. So it looks to me like you could say the gods had at times bases, or you could call it uh, like the, in the book of Ezekiel, the wheeled within wheeled motherships. Because if you read Ezekiel properly, and I've read the whole Ezekiel, it looks like God is flying on this massive flying saucer, sitting on a sapphire throne, shining like the sun. And and th they were probably stationed, you know, on our nearby neighboring planet Venus. And so when Lucifer gets cast down to the earth, it, it happens from that station. But I did a study mathematically calculating using NASA data the wavelengths of all the planets and how they each one of them corresponds to one of the five brainwave states in the human brain. For example, mercury produces about just a smidgen under 20 hertz, which is the beginning of cognitive human hearing. Hence, it's called the messenger, meaning... The messenger. Okay, hold it there, David. Yep. we got to take a yep. break. Uh, let's come back and pick that up on the flip side. So you're listening to The Other Side of Midnight with Richard C. Hoagland. I'm your guest host, Jonathan Womack, and we shall return. Take a look at what is going on with us now. You have vax or no vax. You have mandates or no mandates. You have uh, pharmacies who are not allowed to make a pres prescriptions on substances that they don't, you know, <laughs> that big pharma doesn't want them to have anymore. Somebody's in control of something. There's going to be a time, follow the money, where you're going to say, hey, Something really inappropriate's gone on here. We're being controlled. I mean, it's it's one thing to to have mandates and all these, and another thing to shut people up who say, "I would like to talk about this a little bit." No, you don't. You're not going to talk. And and so we have uh, you know people like uh, Dr. Mercola being shut down. That is not us. That's not how we operate. People ought to at least be allowed to have an opinion and state the opinion and and have uh, say uh, i'd like you to know that a good immune system is going to help you so here are the things for a good immune system but i'm sorry you can't buy them anymore because we're not allowed to so something's going on so that my friend is going to be exposed that's another thing that you're seeing for a while and it won't last forever so it's there now but believe me, it ain't going to stay because the light's going to be turned on. Just like the, the abuse of the, uh, that I've just talked about, of both women and kids for priests and all. It's here in an ugly way, and eventually it's going to be seen. Brian says there'll be revelations. There may be even a movie about it. 
It's going to be the same thing that happened when we found out with tobacco that they were, of course, addicting our children and they had a cartoon and they knew that it caused cancer. And you know what happened with that. We shut that, basically shut that down and now we don't smoke anymore. Hi there, this is Lee Carroll. I want to tell you about the other side of the news. In these days where we're not really hearing much good news or perhaps even what's really happening, that's where the other side of the news is different. And in that, you're going to hear not only controversy, but you're going to hear great things. There are going to be joyful things, too. I just got done with one of the broadcasts, and I encourage you to take a listen with myself and Monica. But the other side of the news, that's what we need more of in these times. And we are back. This is Jonathan Womack. And we're talking with David Sarita, Michael Lee Hill, Georgia Lambert, and Rick Levine, who is only with us the first hour. So, David, why don't you finish your thoughts, uh, your explanation of the messenger, and then we'll go back to Rick. Yeah, so when you do the calculations of the wavelengths using the same math that gives you the Earth frequency of 7.83, 7.83 is the theta part of the brain, which is where we dream. It's actually upper theta. So we all dream at the frequency of our own planet. But when you get to the big planets, Jupiter and Saturn, and Jupiter, of course, is the king of the Roman gods, but it's also Dante's sixth heaven, and Saturn is Dante's seventh heaven. Those are delta brainwaves. So they're in the deepest part of consciousness, as is Uranus and Neptune. And the delta part of the brain, even though it's known as the unconscious, very few people can be conscious in, in the delta part of the brain, zero to four point something hertz. It's it, it's their very powerful wavelengths, meaning they can physically really move things if you attune to them. And when you get to like Venus, for example, doing the math actually produces an octave of 528, which is the love frequency, right? So if you if you know the mathematical formula that gives us the the, the frequencies of the planet, all of them correspond to the brain. So Therefore, we're almost the muses of the planet. So this this square of of the, what Jonathan is talking about, Saturn and Uranus, is, is these are really powerful wavelengths because they're such long wavelengths. And but our brains have the ability to tune to those wavelengths, and and if we if we go into a state of coherence, we'll we'll really be able to take advantage of that power. So that's why the gods, the you know the, the the super gods, are attributed to both actually Jupiter and Saturn. Well, so Rick, should we as human beings be doing something during this period, or? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, yes. Let me come back to that. I just want to clear up or say one thing. I'm not here to question anyone's. Um, um, data or sources, um, but I think it's important to understand that when we talk about something like the beginning of the age of Aquarius, 
that the ages are based upon the precession of the equinox. It's a 26,000 year cycle. That means that each age has a, not has about, but has 2,176 years in it. And when you're, when you're talking about cycles, the thing about a cycle or a circle is there's no beginning and no ending. It's very difficult to say this happens on such and such a date when we're talking about a 25,920 year cycle. And, and I think it's a mistake, or I think it's, I just want to put on the record that, um, I mean, I've done research on this for 20 years, and I would be the first person to say that I do not know when the age of Aquarius begins, because it's impossible to know. Now, if you're getting that downloaded from a particular place, and, and that's your data, I'm, I can't argue with that. But there are people who get other dates downloaded also. And the fact of the matter is that if the age of Pisces began around the birth of Jesus, which is the logical um, and an accepted view, that the um, ages are 2,160 years long. That would mean we're a good century away from entering the age of Aquarius, but there's probably no, um, no single moment because we're looking at uh, such a long-term cycle that it's probably um, a couple, 100, 200 years or so on either side of the cusp of the edge where there's stuff happening um, that certainly indicates a movement from the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius. The ages go backwards because of the procession of the equinox. It's like a top that's wobbling and the earth wobbles backwards once every 25,920 years. So, I mean, again, I'm not saying this to doubt anyone's specific data, but I spend a lot of time teaching people about the mechanics of what the ages actually are. And, and to say that the age begins and an age begins on a certain date, um, I think um, it, it can be overstated. That, that, that's well, all. we'll have to agree to disagree because they've put that date through a crop circle. And it's to me, it's not debatable. If you understand what a Bakhtun is and you see that there's 14 Bakhtuns, the end of the Mayan calendar ended with the 13th Bakhtun because it was the end of the And then when Pisces. did the age of Pisces begin? I, I that I don't care. I I care where the age of Aquarius begins, and the Anunnaki say it's 2016. Okay, that's all. You can believe whatever you want. I that's fine. But I think you can actually look at this as you know. I wanted to get into Van Tassel. I found out, got this equation that extraterrestrials told him would lead to time travel. That equation is F equals uh, one divided by T. And F was frequency, one is one complete cycle, T is time. So if you plug this in exactly what you're saying, 25,920 year precessional cycle, our lar largest cycle of time that we use, divided by T, which is the smallest for the most part is 60. Uh, 25,920 divided by T equals frequency of 432. 432 is how they kept time. There's 43,200 seconds in 12 hours, 8,640. And if you take that number 43,200 and multiply the height and width of the pyramid, you get the accurate dimensions of planet Earth. They've been waiting for us to wake up to this information, and it all revolves around 432. And I found it very interesting that that is the frequency that this information is coming in for David and Jimmy. And um, 
you know, why 432? Why did they go through all of this problem to encode it in Earth's civilizations and structures and, you know, timekeeping? Well, right now we found out that when you align with that frequency, it brings in energy from another dimension. That's brand new information, you know, and it's got to be added. Um, But why 432? Well, E equals MC squared. E is energy, M is mass, C is the speed of light. But that's only the particle part of the equation. All science now tells us it's particle and wave. So where's the wave component? Well, 432 squared, or 432 times 432, becomes C. So the only frequencies that are truly harmonics of light, which everything is built from, is 432-based frequencies. So just run it backwards, 432-based frequencies, times 432 becomes C squared times mass equals energy. And I think in the way that they're having me use it, M is photonic light energy. And you can see it being amplified. Um, So, Hey, Michael, Michael, on that note, because today was the third transmission to Oumuamua, and I went out at 7.38 to listen on my radios, and I kept getting the frequency of the math of the Washington Monument, which is a 432 octave tuner. Because, I, you know, when you do the math as the Washington Monument, either as a dipole or a monopole, it produces a 432 octave. My so point. tonight I got this number three times and I'm, I'm going to be sharing it with Richard and, you know, graphically that remember one of the messages we sent to Oumuamua was the monument, the, the the exact frequencies of the Washington Monument. So tonight in the return, remember I'm using my meter, Jonathan, and I'm capturing frequencies. And I looked at the numbers and I went, oh my God, that's the monument. So then I did the math and it turns out, just like you said the other night, um, Michael, I mean, that you have 108, 216, 432, when an octave is times two or divided by two to go up or down the 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 a note of 432. Yes. So it's important to understand that 432 has octaves, and all of the octaves of 432 are all perfect harmonic a notes. And you mentioned this the other night as well. When you when somebody tunes their piano to 432 you don't just go to middle a and change it to 432 you have to change all your a notes and and every and, other note yeah you have and to every other every note string. exactly you have to change every string you yeah don't go to a jam note. night with a 440 uh band and you're tuned to 432 it doesn't work <laughs> yeah exactly you got to change all your other notes because they're all in proportion to each other so it's actually a big job to to shift everything correctly but the fact that this number came in on my radio, wait till you guys see the screen grab, and it's a very simple mathematic. It's actually incredibly simple to do the math and see that what we've been getting back on the radios in these three nights, December 24th, 25th, and 26th, we, we, we've got the royal cubit of almost every civilization including the most perfect royal cubit that resolves the great pyramid of egypt and noah's ark and now tonight tonight i just got the 432 tuner of the washington monument frequency in my radio and i captured it three times which means it's repeating and it's it's making sure i get it instead of 
just showing up once, and if you miss it, you don't get it kind of thing. Well, Rick, I'd you know, like to go. Oh, go ahead, Georgia. You know, uh, all of this happening at this particular time, uh, while we still have Rick with us, um, Rick, maybe you can speak to something that is certainly part of the esoteric model, which is that we're building up to something that should peak around 2025. And um, uh, do you have anything that you want to add in, in that particular area? Um, no, the only thing, I mean, there there are astrologically several important things that change the dynamics as we get into the mid-2020s, really beginning with Pluto's move into Aquarius. Um, Pluto enters Aquarius um, next year in well, 2023, um, but in 2025, um, Neptune and Uranus both change signs, and th where we've been kind of really um, living under the influence of squares, conjunctions, and oppositions, which are geometrically, sacred geometrically, uh, stress, tension, dynamic conflict, and, and growth, um, that those uh, conjunction squares and oppositions, fourth harmonic, um, rectilinear, if you can think of it that way, um, that those that that geometry by the mid 2020s and onward um, through about 2028 ish or so will really move to a lot of sextiles and trines um, which have a flow of energy geometrically it's the equilateral triangle compared to a to a square um, and so from that standpoint I, I I think that it's important to understand two things uh, three things one is that astrologically these are extraordinary times. Um, I, um, no, it, it, how do I want to say this? The, the, um, number of events and the sequencing of events from the Uranus Pluto conjunction in the mid 1960s to the Uranus Neptune conjunction in the early 90s to the Uranus Pluto square in 2012 to 2015 to this particular Uranus, uh, Saturn Uranus square, um, combined with some other things have made this an extraordinary period of time. And it's in a way, it's almost like, like uh, a giving birth. It's like, it's, it's like the, we're giving birth to a new consciousness. Um, it'll be, it's difficult to know which way things are going to go because whenever you have um, enlightenment and new consciousness, you also have the fear factor, um, the Saturn coming in with repression. Um, whenever uh, post-Renaissance in Italy, you know, right after the, after the Renaissance by the late 15th century, you had this heavy right-wing repressive, you know, government come in. And so I don't think it's just all good news. The fact of the matter is there is something to do about it. And this is what you asked earlier. And yes. that is what can we do about it? Um, Jung very clearly said in the last book he wrote before he died, a book called The Undiscovered Self, um, he said that politicians will never figure out a way, they'll never end um, war, um, that the only way war will stop on the planet is when every soul on the planet becomes um, aware, enlightened, if you will. And mm. so what we need to do is not go out and teach others and enlighten them. That's that's not what we need to do. What we need to do is live our lives as enlightened and as kind and as compassionate as possible, because although there's this cosmic stuff that's always there to think about and to explore, 
And I'm the original Cosmic Cowboy. I wouldn't suggest anyone not to do those explorations. However, doing those explorations is only part of the game. The other part of the game is bringing it back into your life, into your home, into your family, into your community, into your government, and not just standing by while the planet trashes out. Yeah, it's it's there to affect the fear factor. Well, esoterically, that is in perfect alignment. We're, we're moving from what's called the age of the sixth ray to the age of the seventh ray, which is the energy of the last 2,000 years or so was the aspiration upward toward the idea of divinity and goodness and beauty and truth and, you know, the, the, the ideals. But the energy that we're moving into has to do with bringing heaven to earth. It's like that line from the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think Rick is absolutely right that it is incumbent upon all of us to take whatever enlightenment we've been able to achieve and manifest it, uh, to anchor it, to ground it. Uh, here. And and this is the, the keynote of the age we're moving into. Yeah. And Georgia, you know, what you're saying is like, um, we're really talking um, uh, Plato or Neoplatonism, but Plato in particular, you know, people are often confused. Um, they think that soul and and um, and uh, spirit are, are kind of interchangeable. They're and not. Just very, no. I'm sorry? They're not. They're different. Well, you, and you just very, very clearly, very clearly delineated what the two are, because um, spirit is um, astrologically, elementally, it's fire and air. It's aspiring toward the heavens. It's uh, Christianity is, you know, is spiritual, not soulful. I'm not saying there's no soul in it, but the religion itself is about reaching toward and, and aspiring toward being godly, so to speak. Whereas soul is the opposite movement. Soul, rather than aspiring, is descending. Soul is the cosmos coming into the body rather than consciousness, consciousness reaching out to the cosmos. And soul is water and earth. And therefore, you know, it's, it's down and dirty. It's, 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 you know, it's New Orleans is soul. It's the mud at the bottom of the river. And so in a way, um, it's, it's this bringing the planets, and this has been a big movement in modern astrology called um, experiential astrology. And it's, it's a matter of fact, the guy Thomas More, the modern Thomas More, who wrote all the soul books, uh, um, uh, The Reenchantment of Soul in Everyday Life and Soulmates and, and, and so on. Um, he talks, his, his first book was a book called um, The Planets Within, the astrological psychology of Marsilio Ficino. That's a whole rabbit hole that we're not going down right now, other than noting that astrologers also have been aspiring and reaching up toward. And Ficino was really the first astrologer who wrote about how we have to take the energy of what's up there and incarnate it, bring it down into our lives and express it, because otherwise it's just it's just a waste of intellectual energy. Or, or as Georgia you know, would the, say, the, the, uh, we're the <laughs> hands and feet of the soul, right, Georgia? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, um, people think that initiation is just the expansion of consciousness, but initiation is really a threefold process. It's the consciousness opening up to the new level of reality, 
but if that that's all there was, all we'd have to do is write all the good stuff down in books, make sure everybody reads the books, and we'd have a changed humanity. But it doesn't work that way. Because once the consciousness achieves that initiatory expansion into the, the new level of life, the personality has to get used to that expansion. And then the personality has to be able to perform that expansion to make it real down here. And until it's real down here, the initiation isn't finished. And humanity is being offered that as we move into this next age. This is our chance to not only reach for God, but anchor God here in our own lives. If, if all of this esoteric stuff has any value, its value is to make you a better person. And if it doesn't do that, what good is it? Exactly. I totally agree. agree. You know, my wife likes to say, you got to swim the moat. You know, you can gather all the spiritual information, but if you don't start to apply it to your daily life and start to weed the fear and the doubt and the nonsense out of your own belief system, uh, like you said, it, nothing happens. Um, interestingly, the Native American Indians call this the rainbow uh, state that your chakras emanate the colors of the rainbow, uh, one of the grandmothers told me. And only when it's clean and balanced does it emit light from red in the root to purple in the crown and all the other colors of the chakras uh, for the colors of the rainbow. And only until you've become deemed rainbow by spirit are you ever given any more manifestation ability because they said spirit's smarter than that. If you had six of your seven chakras all shiny and bright but one still dark say it's your root chakra and all of a sudden you're blessed with all this extra manifestation ability uh you're it's probably not going to end well you're it'll just go to the spot that you've not swam the moat and did that work to clear that chakra and you just manifest your fears and uh spirit smarter than that and i heard the tibetans have the exact same idea of the rainbow body and it truly just means uh clear chakras and i think this is a good model for humanity because guess what? We can all become rainbow. You know, no one's excluded. It doesn't matter whether you're male, female, what race you are, what color you are. And, but every single person's journey will be different. And um, I, I find great comfort in that. So that's If all. only we had magic glasses that we could put on and you could see everyone's aura. Actually, those were invented in, in the late. I say, just listen to them speak. <laughs> the, they, I, I those the, glasses the were those glasses were invented back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, by uh, a doctor named Dr. Kilner, who used dicyanine dye between uh, pieces of glass to make goggles, where the uh, medical. Uh, activity could be visualized through these glasses uh, and uh, disease could be seen as distortions in the aura. And anybody mm. with normal vision could see at least the, the densest level of the aura. You know, the aura, most people think of the aura as colors. That's part of the astral body's emanation. To be Technically correct, your aura is is the physical radiation you're producing, 
the physical etheric or energy radiation you're producing, the astral or emotional radiation you're producing, and the mental or thought life you're producing. The aura is technically a combination of all those different levels. And different clairvoyants can see at different wavelengths or different levels. Now, did this show the chakras? If you looked at somebody's spine, would you see the chakras aligned along there? Yeah, because the aura is actually the radiation that is put out by the chakras or the centers, which are both uh, input areas and radiatory areas. I want a pair. Yeah. That sounds awesome. (laughs) What were you You going to say, David? Uh, Well, I was going to say, look, I've been practicing meditation for over 45 years every day, and I've studied with a lot of teachers, but... The uh, the rainbow body phenomenon really interested me. And so what I did is I went to the master high absor- highest absorption point of all your nine primary colors, right? So you have red, orange, yellow, lemon, um, green, uh, blue, tur- uh, turquoise, um, um, blue, indigo, and violet. So you got nine colors. And... When I went to their master frequencies, which means if you go in a true rainbow from the light from our sun, there's a number in the trillion hertz band for each color. And if you come down 48 octaves for each color, so 9 times 48 is actually 432, there's exactly 432 color frequencies in the rainbow In if, if you t- starting from... The delta part of the brain, it's actually between delta and theta, and you go all the way up 48 octaves, you're at the top of the rainbow, which is the which is the highest frequency for each color. And the fact that 432 showed up there again was remarkable. So what I did for healing purposes for people is I, because in, in my business, I make therapeutic coil systems that people lay on and they also can put in their room. I literally transmitted all of the color for all of the 432 color frequencies into my body and I started seeing rainbows everywhere. I literally started seeing it. And when I meditate every day at this point it only takes about 10 minutes for a super supreme blissful state to emerge in in my consciousness and it's so intensely ecstatic and blissful it at times, it's difficult to be in that state on Earth. It's very difficult because you're so high. There are times where I say, Jesus, how did you walk around like this? And, and, and that he was even higher. How could anyone be this blissed out and be on the Earth? Well, the rainbow body is, is a practice of of doing toning exercises, actual sound exercises. Hold it there, David. Um, the rainbow body. Okay, yeah, we're body. at the top of the hour. We're at the rainbow top of the body, hour. yes. Okay. Remember that. We'll come I back have a video it. of this. Okay, and Rick, um, I know you have to leave. Would you like to wrap up? Do you have any final thoughts you want to add? Rick, are you there? I'm sorry, I was on mute. The only thing that I can think of that that is important to understand is that when we're looking at these celestial objects, they are 
um, and and I and I and I think that um, someone John um, um, uh, said this, or yeah, so, someone said this, and that is we. It's a mistake to look at them as particles. Saturn is a particle, and it is ringed. Uranus is a particle. A planetary planets, most of them have some sort of ring structure. But the fact is that they're waveforms, and that the way you measure waveforms is you have to find something stable that's either a background to measure it against, or the stability of the points that they make when in they as they interfere with one another. And the Saturn-Uranus cycle about a 45-year cycle um, that it is at maximum stress, maxim maximum tension through 2021. It'll ease off, but it's not going to be gone until early 2023 um, because they come back very close together again due to the retrograde phenomena. So we'll be talking about this still next year, um, but tonight is the, is the night um, for the third and final exact, or as we astrologers say, perfected Saturn, old Uranus, new conflict. Awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you for coming on the show, Rick, and we'll have you back for another session. We really appreciate your time. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye, Rick. Bye. Bye, Bye Rick. To hang with you again. And we'll be back soon, right after this break. You're listening to The Other Side of Midnight with Richard C. Hoagland. I'm your host, Jonathan Womack. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.